It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you. By the way, during the week, Fox Business, Fox Business Network, FBN, name of the show is Kudlow, plays 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. There's also a replay at 7 to 8. And if you can't make it at 4 or even 7, you can text your favorite 9-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show. Meanwhile, here... On radio, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. It's very simple. We are heard throughout the country, all around the world, and the solar system, and the Milky Way. So you'll never miss a thing. You'll be in touch with outer space, which is very cool. Plenty to talk about, as always. I want to begin, uh, I think, top of the political news is um, former President Donald Trump in Rapid City, South Dakota. A huge crowd, I think about 10,000 if that's possible. That's what some of the news reports are saying. A huge crowd in Rapid City, South Dakota. And um, the very popular governor, Kristi Noem, endorsed Mr. Trump for president. So I think she's one of the first governors to make an actual outright endorsement, not the only one, but one of the first. Lots of speculation that Christie will be the vice president on a Trump ticket. I don't know anything about that. I I know Christie quite well, think the world of her. Uh, Mr. Trump, as you know, is way ahead in the polls, way ahead in the polls. Nobody's even close. By the way, there'll be, um, let's see, I guess it's September 27th. Was it 27? Yes, September 27th. Somebody should check that for me, uh, Kevin or somebody. But Fox Business is sponsoring the next Republican debate. Uh, I'll be out there. We'll be doing our show from the Reagan Library in Simi Valley. We'll be doing our show live from out there, and I'll be doing the... Um, the uh, hour before, I'll be hosting an hour before the debate, and then the debate. Anyway, Trump's big crowd, South Dakota. Christy Nome, Governor Christy Nome, has endorsed him for president. And I'll just read you a couple of things from it, because, you know, one of my arguments uh, with respect to Trump's lead in the poll, I know polls aren't votes, but polls are important snapshots, and Mr. Trump continues to gain against the Republican field and also against uh, President Biden. We'll talk about that with Charlie Hurt and Joe Concha in the, uh, at the half hour. But he's running a substantive issues-based campaign. In fact, in the speech uh, last night in South Dakota, uh, he barely mentioned the various controversies around the 2020 election. It's just chock full of issues. And I've argued this time and again, particularly since the economy is the number one issue by far. He has had a strong growth and prosperity economic message. He is the only candidate in either party that has 
a strong economic growth and prosperity message. And he's been working on this, you know, for about a year. And I think the results show. I mean, I look at the, uh, I look at uh, the tips poll, Americans' top priority, economy, gun violence, and immigration. Economy, 46%. Gun violence, 28%. Immigration, border security, 27%. All right. Trump has very strong, solid views on all those issues. By the way, abortion, 11%. Investigations of the Trump administration, 8%. Way down the list. Way down the list. And on the economy, Trump has argued again and again that he had prosperity in his first term. And, of course, the pandemic shut down briefly. Then he had a V-shaped recovery. He gave uh, 6.5% growth to Mr. Biden with uh, less than 1.5% inflation. And Biden's big spending and over-regulating and war against fossil fuels and central planning and, you know, liberal left socialist ideas wrecked the economy and drove up the inflation rate. So Trump's on the issues. That's something that's overlooked. I know the mainstream media, all they want to do is talk about Trump's indictments. Well, I'm just looking at the tip poll. I mean, this is a very good poll, Tip Insights. It's Ragmayer's polls. One of the most accurate polls. It's also one of the most objective polls. Investigations of the Trump administration, 8%. Economy, 46%. <laughs> what does that tell you? Anyway, a couple of snippets from Mr. Trump's speech last night. They're tearing down our economy. They're dismantling our borders. They're destroying our laws. They're looting our middle class, mutilating our children, desecrating our Constitution, and perverting our military, our White House, and our highly weaponized Department of Justice. And he goes on to say, The American people are strong, we are proud, we will not allow our country and all of its values, history, and culture to be taken from us. Then he goes on, cumulative inflation has reached almost 20%, the actual number is 16. Joe Biden has blown through $11.5 trillion in wasteful spending. The budget deficit is exploding and set to more than double this year alone. That is the true fact, again, Deficit's going to come in $2 trillion a higher a year ago when the pandemic spending wound down. It was $1 trillion. And he says manufacturing has contracted 10 months in a row. During Biden's first 30 months in office, just 2.1 million new jobs have been created nationwide. By contrast, during the first 30 months of President Trump, we created 4.9 million new jobs. Under Biden, real incomes have gone down by $7,400 per family. Under President Trump, yearly income went up by more than $6,000. Those are uh, good numbers, correct numbers. I don't know, folks, if you saw my interview, uh, hour-long interview, and then there was a spillover the next night with Mr. Trump. Uh, I was in late August before I went on vacation, but 
all these numbers surfaced. It was, I don't know, I, I thought it was a very, very strong interview. He was at the top of his game. It was like two days after the crazy Georgia indictment, which is utter nonsense, utter nonsense. But anyway, he was at the top of his game. You can find that interview on Fox Business uh, or YouTube. Other highlights from the speech, as your president, I took on communist China like no administration in history. And he talks about uh, every time the radical left Democrats indict me, I consider it a great badge of honor. I'm being indicted for you. Babbling for patriotic Americans is for the blue-collar workers, waiters, waitresses, who Biden is harassing with 87,000 new IRS agents, while the Biden crime family cheats on their taxes as they take in millions of dollars in bribes from all over the world. He is a Manchurian candidate, totally controlled by China and the other countries that paid him off. Strong stuff. He goes on to say, we became energy independent for the first time in history and would soon have been energy dominant for the first time ever, making billions and billions of dollars, rapidly paying down our staggering debt and reducing your taxes still further from already our biggest tax cut in history. We we created the most secure border in U.S. history. We appointed over 300 federal judge and three great Supreme Court justices I fully rebuilt the U.S. military, created Space Force, defeated ISIS. First president in decades who did not start a war. And then he pledged to end the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And then spent some time in this eliminate all of Biden's open borders. Boy, that's a huge issue, too. The tips poll shows... Immigration uh, is a gigantic issue, and it's a fiasco, an absolute fiasco. So, Governor Christie Nome endorses Trump for president. He gives a stem-winding speech, touches on all the economic growth issues, the border issues, the Biden scandals, pretty strong stuff. Honestly, I don't think any other candidate in the field can do what he can do on the issues and the presentation. He is a great communicator. I'm not, you know, I'm not against them. I don't dislike them. They're conservatives, the other Republican candidates. They're conservatives. They just haven't put a clear message together, and they don't have the credibility or the experience. So that's Mr. Trump out in South Dakota. We'll talk some more about this later in the show. I got to take a quick break. Other side of the break, I want to talk about why Joe Biden is breaking the law by stopping drilling and fracking in Alaska. This is a crazy story. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So another little piece of news this week. The uh, Saudis and the Russians acting together with uh, what's now called OPEC Plus, which includes dear friends of ours like Venezuela and Iran. Okay, so they cut oil production and announced it. 
and uh, oil prices immediately went up seven, eight bucks on the world markets. You know, soon it's going to spill over into higher gasoline. Nationwide gasoline is about three dollars and eighty cents. Got as low as three thirty-five. When Biden took office, it was about two dollars and thirty-five cents. So you're still way behind the curve. But here's the thing: so the Saudis and the Russians and the rest of these rogue states cut oil production, raising prices, that's all going to feed into higher inflation. So what was Joe Biden's response to that? Well, he basically went out and stopped, issued an executive order to cancel all oil and gas leases in Alaska. In Alaska. Anwar. What a great idea. That is a production cut. It's a future production cut. So he's fighting them. No, wait a minute. He's going along with them. They cut production. He's cutting production. Ending independence. Stopping domination. Damaging our national security and our economic security. He took 40%. 40% of the National Petroleum Reserve off limits for any oil and gas drilling. And he stopped leases that had already, this is the key point, these leases had already been passed by Congress in the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Reserve, ANWR. The lease sales were part of the Trump tax cut bill legislated by Congress in 2017. That's the law. In other words, Mr. Biden is breaking the law. It's very similar, by the way, to student loans. Mr. Biden insists on canceling student loans, but the Supreme Court ruled He does not have the authority to cancel student loans. Executive orders cannot be substituted for congressional legislation. Congress never legislated cancellation of student loans. Congress did legislate lease sales in Anwar. And he's just gone ahead and trying to bust it. Anytime anytime Biden talks about democracy or the Constitution, think of these things. He's just busting the law. He doesn't care. Now, I think that's incredible. And the oil companies are going to sue him for this. They already sued him for taking out uh, millions of acres in uh, the Gulf They're going to come back and sue him on this. Congress legislated, they mandated these lease sales. And by the way, what side is Biden on? Instead of fighting OPEC, he's going along with OPEC. Of course he is. He wants the highest possible costs for oil and natural gas. He wants your gasoline to be high because he's obsessed with the idea that we have an 
existential, immediate global warming climate threat. And that's been his policy for over two and a half years. Everything he does. I mean, spending trillions of dollars on subsidies is going to stop your gas-powered cars. And he wants to stop drilling everywhere he can, violating congressional laws. Mike Summers, the president of the American Petroleum Institute, was on the TV show last night and said, yep, we're going to go after it. We're going to sue him. We're going to go to the courts. Biden can't get away with this. The other point I'll make on this, not only is he breaking the law, not only is he aligning himself with our enemies, but he also doesn't care one whit about inflation. Now, inflation has softened in recent months. Get ready, by the way. It's going to start to rise again. Real wages have fallen 3% so far. They were up 7% under Trump. Real wages have fallen 3% so far under Joe Biden. Farm and food prices are going to go up because fertilizer prices are going to go up because oil prices are going up. And the deal, oil, petroleum, refined petroleum products affect almost every nook and cranny of the American economy. Literally hundreds of prices will be affected by this. And this will make people suffer. Middle-income people, blue-collar people will suffer because of this crazy idea. And by the way, 1,600 scientists, including several Nobel Prize winners, just issued a statement this week saying there is no immediate crisis. Yes, we should do something, a balanced approach to climate, but there's no immediate crisis. The transition should take 40, 50, 60 years, not five years. So this is Joe Biden at work. This is why people are not happy with him. This is why he's losing badly in virtually every poll. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, analysts Charlie Hurt and Joe Concha will talk about all this. I'm Cudlow. Please stay with us. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority from Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Let's do a little news of the week in review with two political experts. Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and Fox News contributor and author of Come On, Man. The truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad presidency and how to return America to greatness. I, I love saying that entire title. Maybe the longest, <laughs> the longest title on the Amazon Ever. website, but what the hell. And the great Charlie Hurt, 
Washington Times opinion editor, Fox News contributor. Charlie, I begin with you. Uh, Donald Trump in Rapid City, South Dakota, delivers a stem winder in front of thousands of people. And the South Dakota Governor Christy Nome endorses Trump for president. A little bit of news there. Yeah. Are we looking at a Trump Nome ticket? <laughs> what do you think, Charlie? I don't know. I mean, um, you know, uh, it, it would be a formidable ticket for sure. But, you know, it's interesting um, watching that last night. I, I couldn't help but sort of be reminded of something that we've sort of kind of grown used to with Trump. You know, the guy draws a crowd mm. and and, you know, that's, you know, obviously we've been talking about that for years, but it's, it's kind of amazing to think about the, the number of people who will enthusiastically come out and support this guy. And I would defy anyone to find any other politician in America today who can draw that kind of a crowd and that kind of enthusiasm. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, we can ha- have all kinds of debates about his demeanor and his tweeting and, you know, all kinds of things like that or the issues. But the fact remains, the en- amount of enthusiasm among regular people in America, the, among regular voters, is like nothing we've else going on on the scene today and, quite frankly, nothing we've ever seen in, in recent times. And it really is amazing. And, and it's why I think, you know, if he gets the nomination, um, uh, I, I think that he'll be unstoppable in a general election. You know, in my lifetime, I mean, obviously I worked for Reagan years ago in his first term. I love Reagan. Uh, Reagan could draw a crowd, but I don't think it was the same as Trump. I don't think so. And I think... Populism uh, just boils through. That's right. You know, in between Reagan and Trump, none of those guys come close to the crowds uh, he can pull. Like them or not, I mean, that's just... What you're saying is a is a factoid, and, um, and, and and you know, Larry, just but just really important. You know, the thing about this is, and and a lot of these people who are coming are not uh, not necessarily the most politically active people, hmm. and so it's our responsibility as conservatives or Republicans or whatever you want to call those of us on this side of things to uh, take that opportunity and and explain politics in a way. So that they understand it. And, a, and, and Reagan was genius at that. His ability to explain politics to people who weren't necessarily uh, part of politics. And Trump draws the crowd and does a pretty good job of explaining politics. But for those of us who have spent our lives fooling with politics, it's our responsibility to really explain economics and politics to them. And you do economics better than anybody. Well, thank you for that. By the way, I, uh, I said at the top of the show, um, Trump... Uh, you know, his speech was an issues-based speech. Yes. Uh, issues. He hardly mentioned the 2020 race and all that as an issue speech. And, you know, Joe Concha, I, I think this, um, you know, I know you have reservations about Trump, and I respect that, but he, probably more than anybody, he's running an issues-based campaign. I think that's one of the reasons uh, he's so high up in the polls. It's it's not all about the weaponization of the justice system against him. He's running on issues. In fact, Joe, let me just read you. Um, you know the tip poll, Ragavan Meyer, the tip poll. Um, yeah. It's a very good, objective poll. So they, uh, this is just out this morning. Americans' top priorities, economy, gun violence, and immigration. 
Uh, Joe, economy, 46%. Gun violence, 28%. Immigration, border security, 27%. Now, you go down the list, Joe Concha, abortion, only 11 And here's one that surprised me. Investigations of the Trump administration, 8%. Mm-hmm. So, e- economy 46, gun violence 28, immigration 27, investigations of the Trump administration 8. What does that tell you, Joe? That tells you that this is a feel election. In other words, people feel inflation still being three times as high as it was when this president and Biden took office. They mm-hmm. feel unsafe in their communities. That's what gun violence is. They should call it crime. And that's why so many minorities are fleeing Biden, because they simply don't feel safe in their communities anymore. And then when they see someone get arrested, they see that same person committing another crime because we have district attorneys like Alvin Bragg and Bragg in Manhattan who just make it a revolving door for violent criminals. And then obviously they feel immigration as far as the border, seven million people coming into this country illegally. Remember what seven million is, 38 states in the United States don't have a population of 7 million, and we've already eclipsed that in two and a half years under Biden. And then they see in places, not just like New York City, but small towns, Texas to Arizona and across the country, their education and healthcare systems being overrun by people who came into the country illegally. And then the worst part is we are paying for them as far as their housing, as far as their food, as far as their healthcare, and as far as their education. So people see and feel all of this. So they're willing to put aside, and I know you said I have reservations about Trump, I do only when he harps on 2020 and, right. and c- continues yeah. to relitigate that, that election. People want to hear about 2024. They want to hear how he's going to fix the country. And if he just said, Larry, you know what, it, when he's asked the next time during an interview, I've said what I had to say on the topic. You know where I stand on it. I'm not talking about that anymore. I'm talking about the future and how I will save uh, this country along with you as far as what Joe Biden and Democrats have done to it as far as crime, economy, immigration, education, and, oh, by the way, we just gave $500 million to Ukraine to make their energy cleaner. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can, if he wins, on a, if, if it's issues, he wins, and he wins going away. Larry. You said that on the, on the TV show last night. I was my jaw dropped. I didn't know they <laughs> snuck that in there. I mean, yeah. re- really? $500 million for you? You think the Ukrainian people are worried about climate change? Seriously? <laughs> mean, well, bombs are dropping on them. I'm pretty I mean, sure that's worse. <laughs> and by the way, I, I would love to hear him say what you said about 2020. I mean, I would love to say that. He knows I'd love to say that. We've actually had this yeah. conversation. He has a and good he's not future. Capitulating, right? He's, he's saying, got look, a, I, I said what I said, and I'm standing by it, but I'm not talking about it anymore. I'm I know. And she should, so. with the, regarding the uh, indictments, uh, you know, I, he should just leave it to the lawyers. Just uh, don't get that into is, it. Leave it to the, the lawyers. The problem with, with talking about the election stuff is that you're never he's never going to win a new voter talking about the election stuff. The people that already support him right. are, are, you know, already know all the issues about the 2020 election. Um, and 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 it's 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 when he goes back to the issues that he wins new voters, and he was winning them the last week of the 2020 election. Um, and of course, don't forget, 2016 was the most issue-oriented yes. election of our lifetime. Yes, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Not because Trump was a nice guy; they voted for him because he was right on all the issues. No, you know, uh, Charlie, you know who totally hundred percent agrees with you on that? Kellyanne Conway. 
who managed that campaign. She says that she said that months ago, and that the so far the 24 election is a lot more like the 2016 election. He didn't get the issues done in 2020, and you're right until the very end when it was probably too late. But but, uh, but you know, on take an issue like immigration, illegal immigration, the border invasion. He uh, but what he did get done was he proved to Democrats and Republicans who refused to do anything about this problem for decades, for 30 years, for 30 plus years, he proved that you could do something about the border. And next time, he just needs to do it and do it with the help of Congress and do it in a way that can't be undone. Yeah. Joe Concha, let's go back. Um, Roma Duravi, uh, communications uh, staffer for Trump, uh, with politicians, always know until it's yes. All right. That was a great line. Always know yeah. until it's yes. Talking about Gavin Newsom particularly. But let's uh, just chew on this for a second. The CNN poll that was such a shocker, Biden loses to all the GOP rivals. Uh, Trump 47, Biden 46, Nikki Haley 49, Biden 43. That's an interesting one. Oh, DeSantis yeah. ties him 47-47. Pence wins by two, Pence 46, Biden 44. And even Christie wins by two, uh, 44-42. Uh Joe, Democrats cannot ignore that kind of poll. I mean, they got to think very hard about Joe Biden as their candidate, don't they? And, Larry, remember, that's a general poll. In other words, that's the whole country. The elections come down to basically six states at this point, right? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I live in New Jersey. I know when I vote that it's not going to go red, and that's just the way it goes. Uh, but it comes down to basically Georgia, Arizona, Ohio, which I think has gone firmly red. So I'll even take them out of the equation. Pennsylvania. Wisconsin, Michigan, and I will throw, and I want to hear Charlie's thoughts on this, Virginia, I think, is very much in play because that state has suddenly is doing a Florida, right, under Yunkin, as far as mm-hmm. Republicans gaining more and more control and mm-hmm. Yunkin being impossibly popular there. I think you're 60% approval, which is really hard for any politician to get to these days. So it comes down to those states, and the Haley number did stand out to me because she's far and away, like, above the whole, you know, as far as margin of error, uh, which is usually on 4%, she's at 6% above Biden at this point. Right. Trump looks at polls. I wonder when he's weighing, who do I have as my vice president? Christy Noem, I agree, uh, would be a very interesting choice. But Haley, as far as the foreign policy, and she had a great debate, I thought, uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago on Fox. Uh, that would be a pretty formidable ticket in its own right, where you have uh, Nikki Haley, who worked for Trump already. Yeah. She knows who she, who she uh, is dealing with. And Trump, I, I think that would be pretty powerful. I agree. Let's take a quick break. Uh, folks, talking to Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and Fox News contributor, and Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. I'm Kudlow. We will be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. <clears throat> We're talking news of the week in review with Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and a Fox News contributor. Uh, and his book, Come On, Man. Here it comes, folks. Come on, man. <laughs> the truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad presidency and how to return America to greatness. <clears throat> and my great pal, Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. By the way, gentlemen, thank you for helping us on a Saturday morning. I'm most grateful for that. And Joe, just 
Just at the end there, I think your Nikki Haley point is very important. Uh, the only thing I'd say is um, she should be a little lighter touch. You know, she's been saying Trump shouldn't run, Trump shouldn't run. I, I'd be careful on that. Um, Probably, but I, yeah. But I think you gotta I like think her honesty and she's fearless, right? But well, well no, I, <laughs> and she's a smart woman, and she does have foreign policy experience. You're quite right. Um, fellas, I want to just talk for a moment about this 14th Amendment baloney. Uh, you're an insurrectionist, and, and all these uh, Democratic secretaries of state in the various states around the country are trying to keep uh, Trump off the ballot. And there was a very good op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal by Judge McCasey, uh, former Attorney General Michael McCasey, and he said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's a, it's a civil war thing. This is not about. I mean, not even uh, not even the special prosecutor Smith brought the insurrectionist charge. I had Senator Eric Schmidt on, former Missouri AG and now U.S. Senator. He said it was nonsense. Even interestingly, what's his name? Raff, Raffensberger, the Secretary of State of Georgia. If I've said his name right. He wrote an op-ed piece in the journal saying, "Let the people decide." Secretaries of State. Uh, cannot keep anybody off the ballot. It's not just about Trump, it's about anybody. And Charlie Hurt, I mean, this whole business, question I have is this being run out of the White House. They'll do anything to keep Trump off the ballot, you know, or for that matter, DeSantis, or for that matter, Nikki Haley. I mean, to me, this is craziness, Charlie. Well, of course, it is being run out of the White House. Um, you know, they are setting the tone for all of this. Um, but you know, it, and, it, and it reveals the lawlessness with uh, to, you know, that these people will de- deploy uh, when they're desperate. But of course, the big picture here is the only reason they're doing this—they're not doing this because it helps them uh, in you know some sort of uh, you know argumentative way. The only reason they're doing it is because they are now realize that if they that, that if allow if voters are allowed to you know vote the way they want to vote in an election which is called, uh, you know, a democratic republic, they're going to elect Donald Trump. And, and so the only reason they're doing this is to take the election out of the hands of the American people. Mm-hmm. And if that's not election interference and election rigging and everything, you know, every terrible word you can think of for destroying democracy, then, then, then such a thing doesn't exist. And it's really quite remarkable. Uh, Joe Concha, just it raises a question: How, Is this whole thing the weaponization of the Justice Department? You think that the White House and Biden and so forth, you know, the senior staff people, the senior political advisors, you think they're calling the shots? There's a story out there uh, how Biden's people met with the special prosecutor Jack Smith before he brought the indictments. You think the White House is calling the shots here? Absolutely. They're doing it, obviously, well behind the scenes. The president and his press secretary will say, oh, no, it's it's an independent investigation. The DOJ is completely independent from us. And obviously, anybody sane and sober knows that's complete. I can't say the word. I'll just go with the acronym BS. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just painfully obvious what's happening here at this point and what what it's going to do. I think we talked about voters who usually don't go to the polls, even in presidential elections, it goes into the tens of millions as far as people that are even registered uh, that didn't vote in 2020, for example. You don't have to grab a lot of those people who say, you know what, this is wrong, this is not the way our government should be acting, where we're 
basically targeting our political opponents and, and, and trying to take them out like we're in a third world country. All you need, really, to win this election, 12,000 votes in Georgia, flip mm-hmm. those, 10,000 votes in Arizona, flip those, 20,000 in Wisconsin, flip those. You flip mm-hmm. those three states alone, and Donald Trump is president again. And we talked about those other states in play as well as far as Virginia. And Pennsylvania very easily could be flipped, and Michigan can be flipped. Here's the thing about this election that's happening now that I'm seeing is it's gone from everybody focusing on Trump, 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 to that's kind of faded in terms of a fatigue almost around all these indictments and trials. And now it's finally becoming a referendum on the guy who's actually in the Oval Office and his record and his age. And, and that's why so many people now are talking about Biden possibly not being at the top of the ticket and it being, you know, uh, the, the jail guy out in California, Gavin Newsom. Charlie, what do you think about what Joe just said? Focused on Biden and the CNN poll shows how weak he is. Other polls are similar. Uh, somebody's got to step forward. Somebody, I guess. Um, maybe not. What do you think? Yeah, um, it is. It's so hard to imagine, uh, Joe, you know, the incumbent in the White House. You know, there's so many advantages to incumbency in terms of raising money and the power structure that where Democrats control um, the, the process and, and basically bully their own voters into uh, supporting whoever their chosen nominee is. You know, the Democrat Party is, is really good at that. Um, but, the, you know, the second problem for, for Democrats, it's not just Joe Biden or just Kamala Harris. Any, any Democrat that comes forward at this point has to sell Democrat policies to the American mm. people. And the mm. thing that's really unpopular right now for Democrats is their ideas and their policy. And we're seeing that with illegal immigration in places like New York. Uh, we're seeing it with crime. And, and then uh, what, Joe, you mentioned earlier about the about spending a half billion dollars to Ukraine for, for green, green energy in, in a war zone. Um, <laughs> the, Ukraine is a massive loser for anybody who wants to, to tie themselves to it. And, that, and that's why you know, Nikki Haley has done everything she could to lash herself to the Ukraine effort. Mm. That's a loser. And, mm. and an, another reminder of why Donald Trump stormed the political scene and took over the Republican Party, because he broke from Republican orthodoxy on the issue of these wars. And he will beat Nikki Haley and the pro-war wing of the Republican Party every day of the week. Um, and then go on to beat Democrats on this issue as well, um, if they, if that's what they want to make it about. And, and and that's why Democrats are so desperate to try to talk about Trump all the time, because they think if they can make it about Trump, they can they might be able to win. But if it's about issues, they lose. How about a Democrat? I don't know whether it's Gavin Newsom or somebody else. A Democrat, Joe, coming out and saying we got to get out of Ukraine, we got to stop financing Ukraine. In other words, take Trump's view. Trump says, I'm going to make peace in Ukraine before I'm even inaugurated. What if a Democrat came out and just Charlie said it's it's Biden's war, quote unquote. Suppose a Democrat rebelled. That That's the irony here, right? Democrats used to be the anti-war party. <laughs> the pro-war party and Trump's anti-war. It's amazing. But Charlie, you changed my mind on Nikki Haley. She won't be on the ticket for that reason. I never even considered that. So I will change my mind mid-segment and, and own it. All right. You guys are great. Joe Concha, Charlie Hurd, thank you ever so much for giving us your time Saturday morning. Most grateful. Folks, take a quick break, and we're going to talk about trust in government has collapsed. 
It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you. We bring in an old friend, Jerry Baker, former Wall Street Journal editor-in-chief, currently a Wall Street Journal editor-at-large. He's a columnist. He's a Fox News commentator. He and I used to joust a little bit on the old McLaughlin show, Jerry, if you remember that. That's how we met. My I think. goodness, Larry, that that is that is going back. That's going back some way, but I do I, remember. I remember very well. <laughs> I think it's over twenty years ago. And yeah, um, Jerry Baker has a new book out, very interesting and very important book. It's called American Breakdown: Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and how we can rebuild confidence. And, Jerry, I'm reading you this morning in the Wall Street Journal your article, How American Institutions Went From Trust to Bust. And if you permit me, uh, for our listeners, the lead graph here, at the heart of America's political and cultural turmoil is a crisis of trust in the space of a generation, the people's confidence in their leaders and their most important institutions to do the right thing has collapsed. The federal government, big business, the media, education, science and medicine, technology, religious institutions, law enforcement, and others have seen a precipitous decline. Um, you know what, Jerry? I can't say you're wrong. I mean, I really can't. Uh, having lived through well, all this stuff, uh, tell us yeah. about it. you got your new book out. Thanks, Larry. I really appreciate it. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you can't say you're wrong. Although I'm very happy to joust with you as we used to on the McLaughlin Group all those years ago. Look, I mean, I think this. I've been I've been working on this for a while. It's the, you know the, again, there are many many political problems we have in this country. We 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 know that right now. But I do really think this is this is the core problem, which and explains not just the kind of the various pathologies in American political life right now, but, but explains so much of what's happened in the last ten years. It explains Donald Trump. It explains. You know the anger that people feel. It explains the the these extraordinary you know the, the, this extraordinary partisanship and polarization that we've seen. People have stopped trusting their institutions, and and, and what I write in and by the way also stopped trusting each other to some extent. What what I write in the book, what I try to explore in the book by looking at these institutions is is how and why that happened. What are the what are the reasons why people no longer trust what they read in the in the news and the news media, Larry. As you won't be surprised to hear is probably the most striking and stunning mm. drop in, 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 in public confidence. You know, 30, 40 years ago in the 70s and 80s, polls, uh, by the way, Gallup have been doing these polls consistently every year for the last 50 years. 30, 40 years ago, this poll found that something like three quarters of Americans said, yeah, I generally trust what I see in the news, what I read in the news. Today, that number's down to about 14, 15 percent. Mm. It's true for everything else, too, the federal government, for law enforcement, for technology companies, for big business. And I think the, the reason, and there are many reasons we talk about it, but I think the core reason is just this widening gulf between these elites who have seized control of these institutions in the last mm. 20, 30 years, these, these, you know, these, these, these homogenous elites all educated in the same way they all think the same way they all have the same sets of sort of progressive ideas and values and though the, the they have they have essentially taken hold of these institutions uh and driven these institutions and indeed driven the country in a direction that you know frankly just most americans don't want to go and that that's why that's why people that's why people don't trust them anymore yeah the elites have taken like 10 giant steps to the left and that's just not where the country is. You know, Jerry, I, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book. I'm hoping you'll send it to me 
because I'm a poor, impoverished um, talk uh, talk show host. But um, the two that stick out, one is you just mentioned it: the news media, uh, the mainstream media, and the other one is the politicalization of the justice system or the weaponization of the justice system. And the thing about the justice system, you know, okay, they're going after Donald Trump right now because Biden's in the White House, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Jerry, it won't matter. I mean, it could go the other way, too. I mean, Trump has said this. I mean, the justice system is so essential to American democracy, and it just seems like people are running roughshod over it. Well, it is unfortunately, um, you know, the the, the 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 it's the phenomenon that most clearly marks the transition of a country of a democracy from a sort of genuine democracy, unfortunately, into a kind of a banana republic. And mm. that is a very worry. You know, that's what you see in countries. You know, for you know, we've we've Larry, you've been around a while. We've I've reported on these things for you know for for a long time. That's the kind of thing you see in these countries. In you know, like say, but in Latin America, for example, in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, when Somebody will get into power and then use the tools of law enforcement to go after their political enemies. That, that is, look, and there's, there's always, there's been, I mean, it's, what's so interesting, Larry, and I do talk about this a little bit in the book, is that, you know, the, 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 the justice process is, in a sense, in this country, has always been politicized, right? You have, like a, unlike a lot of other countries, you have elected, you know, at the state level, you have elected prosecutors and elected mm. judges in, in many, many states. And, of course, at the federal level, the Justice Department is, you know, part of the administ- part of the part of the executive, part of the elected uh, administrator, the, the part of the administration over which the uh, the president is elected, and and you know, and it has there have been periods in our history when, you know, there have been worries about that about you know J Edgar Hoover for goodness sake was FBI mm-hmm. during fifty years was widely seen as going after his political enemies. I don't think we've seen anything though like what we've seen in the last few years, and I think what's made it what's made it worse, Larry, is the is is the way in which, in particular, the media. Has in, in the past the media, you know, the media would 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 expose these things. It was the position of the news media. It was the role of the news media to be a watchdog for this. For this, because there's always been that temptation right from the early earliest days of the republic. There's always been that temptation and that ability of law enforcement to be used as a political tool. But you've had you've had checks and balances. The media being one, Congress being another. You've had these other institutions that are around to make sure that if it does happen, then it can be reined back. That's gone again, Larry. I mean, and again, because nobody trusts. These other institutions either say so you have this dangerous situation where law enforcement, like um, like so many other branches of the government, can simply be used now to achieve political ends. And that's, mm. as you say, that's a very worrying and a very dangerous thing. Very bad. And it'll cut both ways. I mean, it's, it can be a Republican thing. It can be a Democratic thing. Um, you know, one guy that abused this system very badly was a Republican named Richard Nixon many, many, many yeah. years ago. And, Jerry, you do write, though, in this morning's piece, which I... Then comes out of the book. Only two institutions, the military and small business, enjoy the confidence of a majority of Americans. Um, tell us more about that one, please. Yeah, it's interesting that. I mean, the, I mean. by the way, even the military in recent years has seen its numbers decline, and I think that's part of the sort of because of the, the, the well, to some extent, the behavior, I think, of some military leaders in the Trump administration and the kind of woke Unfortunately, the sort of woke progressive ideology that seems to have gripped even parts of the military. The military has seen its numbers decline, uh, but still, I mean, a large majority of Americans still say they still trust the military. Look, I think, and, and small business, small businesses, you know, enjoys high levels of support. I, I, the, the lessons I draw from that are two things, and I say this in the book. 
two twofold. One is the military, generally speaking, um, you know, obviously the military back back in the 1970s after Vietnam, the military that was, was highly polarizing and highly, highly divided. And then what you've had is a high, high level of professionalism for 30, 40 years, a high mm. level of professionalism and a commitment to the ideals of American government and to the American system that mm. has been rep- that, that, is, that is represented by the military. And I think that's one important lesson. And the lessons of small business, and this is really interesting, is whereas uh, faith in big business has collapsed, Faith in small business has increased, and that, I think, re- re- reflects small, local and small people. We need to give more power to people to run their own, to run their mm. own communities. Small power. They, they like small business. They like local government. That's part of the answer here to restoring trust is devolving so much of the power that we have in this country away from big government, away from big business, away from big tech towards people themselves and people, give people back the power to run their own lives. Oh, I love that. I love that, Jerry Baker. It's terrific stuff. Um, hopefully you'll come on a TV show and we'll talk some more about the book. I love to. Folks, Thanks, it's uh, and Jerry Baker. I will, of course, send you a copy, even though you can afford one. Yeah, no, because, you know, I'm impoverished anchor. Jerry <laughs> Baker, uh, Wall Street Journal, now Fox News. The name of the book is American Breakdown, Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and How We Can Rebuild Our Confidence. Thanks, Jerry Baker. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, the great Michael Goodwin, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, New York Post columnist, going to talk about the decline of New York City. Kind of breaks my heart, but there's a lot of truth to that, too. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow here. We bring in my good friend Michael Goodwin, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and New York Post columnist extraordinaire, Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, uh, it was a week ago you wrote a column, Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams, and the fall of New York. Um, I was on vacation, but I squirreled this thing away because I wanted you to talk about it. I'll just read quickly, to be blunt... New York City and state are going through such a long, painful decline that each new leg down sounds like a death rattle. Worse, they often make things worse, the migrant mess being Exhibit A, the migrant mess being Exhibit A. And then you say, but crime and taxes, not to mention rent, food, and utilities, are all still too damn high. And then you also mention the legalization of marijuana. Um, Michael, I came to New York City uh, from Princeton in 1973, and except for a couple of stints in Washington, I've lived here all those years since. So it kind of breaks my heart. But unfortunately, as you usually are, you're very accurate in this decline of New York column. Well, good morning, Larry. Uh and thank you. Uh, look, I, I don't relish uh, these descriptions of New York. I don't relish hearing them. I don't relish writing them. But it is hard and, frankly, impossible to escape the conclusion that the city is not only declining, but it's declining in ways and at a time that is distinctly different from the past. Mm. I mean, New York has always been t- a tough city to govern. It's always had its rough edges and difficulties, and it's always been something of a challenge to live here. Um, But when you look at what's happened now with crime and public disorder, 
you have the school system essentially uh, collapsing uh, in the post-COVID era. I mean, you have roughly 40% of the students are chronically absent. Hmm. Chronically absent, meaning they miss a month of school each year. Hmm. 40% of them. Uh, And, of course, now you have the migrant situation or the illegal asylum seekers, however you want to, whatever you want to call them, they are overwhelming the city right now. Mayor Eric Adams made a huge mistake. He helped to bring this on himself. I mean, ultimately, the responsibility is in the White House and Joe Biden's open border policy. Hmm. What, six, six and a half million people coming into the United States? Uh, what New York is experiencing now is more than 110,000 of them are here. 60,000 of them are living at taxpayer expense completely, meaning room, board, everything, transportation, health care, all of it paid by New York City taxpayers, some help from the state, very little help from Washington. And I think the reason Washington won't help is that if you admit If you're Joe Biden and you admit that you are responsible for what happened in New York, then you're also responsible for what's happening in Boston, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in Washington, D.C., in the border states. All of it is your should be a federal responsibility. And if they looked at it that way, they certainly would close the border. Hmm. So the whole open border policy falls apart when you start to demand help that these localities and of course these are all democrat democrat cities democrat uh states democrat white house mm-hmm. and the fact that they are fighting with each other over this you know the new york times had a headline the other day republicans get the public the open border fiasco they wanted or something like that as mm-hmm. though it's the republicans fault this is the Democrats did this, the Democrats own this, and they don't have a solution. And just one more thing quickly about New York and these other cities, there's no limit. There's no limit to the numbers who can and will come as long as the border is open. You know, um, Eric Adams often seems to be at loggerheads with his party. He doesn't want to be as far left. He doesn't agree with a lot of the socialist policies and so forth. But, Michael Goodwin, the one thing he won't say is what you just talked about, and that is blaming the open borders policy of the Biden administration. I mean, they want a lot of money. Adams wants a lot of money from Washington. I mean, he tosses around this $12 billion number, $12 billion. But he will not... Blame open borders. And I guess as a secondary point, um, you know, he won't talk about the New York sanctuary city status. I mean, that's part of the problem, too, from day one. Well, yes, he he, uh, bragged and boasted about the sanctuary city status. So I have to say, Larry, in this environment, the sanctuary city means nothing because it's essentially sanctuary from ice. That's what sanctuary was all Mm -hmm. about. and ICE has effectively been conscripted to go to the border and take names. Mm. I mean, that, that, there is no enforcement of immigration laws anymore. So the sanctuary status thing has, has a lot less meaning now than it did, you know, two, three, four years ago when there was border enforcement. Uh, 
But look, you're right. Adams sort of wants it both ways. He wants to be a Democrat. He had he said when he was first elected, he would be the new face of the Democratic Party and that uh, New York would show America how to run a city. Uh, that was his lofty ambition. Now he's in the deep weeds. And frankly, I don't think he's found his way out yet, right. because he, when he says that, as he said the other day, and he's actually said this before, this migrant thing will destroy New York. Mm. Now, mm. think about that when a mayor says that about his own city. Mm. That's, a, that's a give up, right? Mm. That's a surrender to this to this change in circumstances that he helped to usher in. Now, if you really believe it's going to destroy New York, why would you hold back? Mm. Why wouldn't you go hammer and tong at the source of the problem, which is the White House? Yes, sir. Michael Goodwin. New York Post, Fox News. It's a great column, folks. Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams, and the fall of New York. It's about a week old. It's an evergreen. This column's going to last for quite some time. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for helping us on a Saturday. I really appreciate it. Folks, quick break and uh, the economy with John Carney of Breitbart News. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, and co-author of the fabulous Breitbart Business Digest, a must-read. The guy's got a cult following. John, thank you for your time. Uh, Bidenomics is creating a debt inflation spiral. Um, first of all, Republicans need to talk more about that in the debate on uh, September 27th. But you've got some great numbers here. The deficit's gone from $1 trillion last year to $2 trillion this year. Federal outlays for government spending is up 10%, according to our friend Joe Lavornia. And the likelihood is inflation is set to re-accelerate. Okay, so... Those are some of your key points. Um, it's a strange story, a very difficult story. They're spending like no tomorrow. That's right. Usually you would not see this kind of spending, you know, this, this doubling of the deficit, first of all, incredible. The 10% increase in spending, incredible, uh, outside of a catastrophe, you know, a for usually a war or or a very serious recession, we're doing it with none of those things happening, and uh, and it, that, that that's going to cause a couple problems. One, if we do end up in a big economic problem in the future, again, war, huge natural disaster, we're going to be fiscally constrained because we're already running up the deficit so much and we're already spending so much. So that's a problem. But uh, number two. We, it, it, the pro, once we get used to this level of spending, right, if we're doing this at normal times, it's hard to figure out how do you cut it hmm. ever, 
right? Mm. Once you've once you've you know settled into no, we're going to run a two trillion dollar deficit, even when you know the unemployment is at three point eight percent, right? That I I haven't looked through you know, but the the deficit relative to GDP with the unemployment rate as low as it is has probably never been like this outside of a serious recession, probably not since World War II. And this is a a very big, big fiscal impulse that we're pushing into the economy that is going to help encourage inflation as it frankly working counter purposes to what the Fed is trying to do. Yeah, that's a key point. That's exactly right. Uh, counter purposes. Government is spending like no tomorrow, and the Fed is trying to absorb the money supply, so they're at loggerheads. You're running, I think, John, in round ballpark numbers. You know, I'm in, I'm in firm, but I think the deficit is about seven eight percent of GDP, uh, with a three and a half percent unemployment rate, three point eight percent. So that's outrageous. But spending, which is the real problem is uh, 26% of GDP. Historically, I think the 50-year average is 20. So you're running like six percentage points above. Again, with a 3.8% unemployment rate, we may have a recession next year, but we don't see it right now, as you've said many times. I mean, there's no end to this. And I think what you're suggesting, and I went and looked this up, you're right, it looks like inflation is actually re-accelerating. Uh, I looked at the uh, Cleveland Fed nowcast and so forth. Um, the CPI number comes out this week and, and may be kind of a, a shocker. I think it, the CPI number may be a big shocker. A lot of people have in their heads that inflation is going to sort of smoothly keep coming down. Mm. Um, and that doesn't look to be the case. I mean, a big driver here will be energy. I mean, drive around, you'll see that the, uh, you know, gas prices are up a lot. Um, we're probably going to see an acceleration of food price uh, inflation as well, because we've had some, you know, pretty wacky uh, weather across the whole country. I mean, it's been super hot in lots of the country that's going to hurt uh, crop yields. But the main thing is inflation is going higher. It's not just because of gas and it's not just because of uh, food. I think we're going to see – we might not see a huge uptick in core inflation this month, but I think that's coming. And the markets aren't prepared for that yet. They still, you know, more or less believe that we're on a smooth sailing with inflation coming down. And when it starts to tick back up, and a huge part of that will be this fiscal expansion that we're seeing through the Biden administration spending, uh, I think that's going to catch people by surprise and, frankly – the you know it'll be very interesting to see what the Fed has to say about this because they meet the week after next right so we're mm. like we're going to have the CPI numbers then we get the Fed meeting and uh, so it'll be interesting to see you know how they react if you know CPI starts going back up well that's right so you, I think Wall Street seems certain that the Fed won't raise their target interest rate but Wall Street could be wrong again. Yeah, I think what's going to happen at the next Fed meeting won't be a raise. If they wanted to raise, they could have let us know that this week. Mm. There, you know, there was a flood of speakers from the Fed. And, they, and even our friend uh, Christopher Waller did not sound <laughs> like he was in the mood to raise rates. I mean, you know, Larry, you can it, take credit. He's there. It, you it know, was my best appointment. But actually, yeah. it, you know what? 
uh, I mean, it was President Trump's appointment, but it was Jim Bullard who brought his, you know, who brought him on the radar screen. <laughs> and I yeah, thought and Bullard, because, Bullard was pretty hawkish uh, recently. Yes. Yes, Bullard has been hawkish. Bull, well, one of the greatest things about Bullard, and I think we'll find this with Waller, is they were both, they're both very analytical. They don't, they weren't either instinctively hawkish, right. you know, or rather, you know, lockstep hawkish or lockstep dovish. They looked at what was happening in the economy and they, they came to the right position based on that. So I don't think they raised this time, but I think they will do what you could call a, uh, a hawkish hold mm. because they're going to communicate that uh, and we're going to see this, that their estimates for GDP are going to come up, right? They, I mean, they really uh, undercounted, uh, underestimated how high GDP is going to be this year mm. in their, you know, at the last meeting. So they're going to raise that up. They're going to have to lower their estimate for unemployment. Mm. Unemployment is not going up as fast as they thought it would. And, the, you know, and we're getting the, uh, the, they call it the SEP, the Summary of Economic Projections. We're getting another one of those at this meeting. So even oh. though they won't, they probably won't raise, they can sort of raise through communications by showing that they're, you know, right. they think the economy will grow faster and unemployment right. will be lower. Um, John Carney, last night on the TV show, Kevin Hassett made a very strong case that the UAW is going to strike against the big three. The issue is job losses from electric vehicles. Now, it's really a strike against Joe Biden, but it'll be a strike against the big three. Uh, have you focused on that? Have you looked at that? Because if they go out, John, um, that's just going to really damage the economy. It will damage the economy. I have focused on it. I think uh, Kevin is right. We are going with the likelihood of a strike seems to be growing much higher. They, you know, whatever negotiations have taken place have not seemed to make any progress. The electric vehicles is a huge part of that because they, it just involves so many fewer people to build the electric vehicles. Mm. There's a lot of robotics involved. A lot of the parts, no matter what the Biden administration says about, oh no, people will build building electric vehicles here in the U.S. A lot of that is going to be done abroad, and you know the component shift in a lot of the batteries will be made abroad. Even though they keep saying they'll be built here, that you know that remains to be seen. The unions are worried about that, and the unions are very upset about what's happened with Biden inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and what they want is basically not so much that they're worried that we're going to get nine percent unemployment next year, but you know they look at food prices are up twenty percent over the last two years, and they say we need to be made whole for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need a raise just to keep up with the inflation that's already happened. So as you said, this is going to be very much a strike against Bidenomics, mm. uh, and it will hurt the economy going into an election year, which you know the Biden administration will probably try to avert, but I don't see what they can do mm. to, to repair the damage that's mostly being done by their policies. Yes. UAW might want a lot of benefits, too. I wonder if they're going to want... Yeah. for laid off workers type benefits i mean this is an it could be an odd strike you're right about wages and they have to catch up with uh, food prices and the cpi but i'm just wondering they might want to protect future unemployed uaw workers who get laid off from the electric vehicles absolutely i mean if you were if you're a union that's one of the best things you can do is say look we 
see what's happening. We see the future coming. We probably can't, you know, avoid uh, mm-hmm. having there be, you know, fewer people building vehicles in the future, especially if we're pushing towards electric vehicles, which I think I think actually that may be a little exaggerated. I think there may be some pushback against that in the future. We may not go as electric as fast as people think we're going mm-hmm. to. But um, one of the things that the union should be doing is saying, okay, so if we know that's happening, what are you going to do to make sure that we're not immiserated by this change? That you know that our people who've spent their lives learning to do this aren't going to be asked to you know get a job in the you know serving donuts instead and, mm-hmm. and you know earning minimum wage. That's mm-hmm. not fair to them, and of course their union should be looking out for their interests. What's um you know you mentioned stronger than expected growth. Uh, last I looked, I think the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker was still. About five and a half percent for Q3, yeah, something like that. Five point six. That's right. It, it <laughs> came down from five point eight, but the last three readings, so this week and, and the end of last week, have come in at five point six. Which, you know, everybody says it's going to come down, and it will. I agree. It's not. You know, we're not going to end up with five point six percent growth in the third quarter, but uh, it is not coming down so far. And the longer this goes on, the, the longer, the more you have to ask, like, how far is it going to come down? I've, I've heard, you know, very respected economists at, you know, big Wall Street firms say that they're raising their numbers up above 3% now yeah. for the third quarter, which is yeah. quite a lot of growth in the third quarter. <laughs> right. John Carney, co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. Nobody does it better. Thank you, John. Folks, quick break. And then the other side, the great Roger Stone, political consultant, political analyst, superior, and uh, WABC radio host. I'm Kudlow. Roger Stone, up next. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're trying to track down Roger Stone. But in the meantime, I want to talk about, I want to expand on what John Carney was talking about, Breitbart's John Carney. Um... In the Republican debate a couple of weeks ago, now this is obviously excluding Donald Trump, the the candidates, you know, God bless them, they're conservatives and they're good people and I'm not really here to attack them, but they didn't hardly talk about the economy or inflation or the failure of Bidenomics. Now, Carney wrote a piece about this right after. In fact, we had it on the radio show uh, two Saturdays ago. And we're going to have another debate. Fox Business is uh, hosting the debate September 27th, Simi Valley, Simi Valley, the Reagan Library. I will be out there. Uh, we're going to do the Kudlow show, and then I'm going to host a pre-debate show for an hour and uh, probably then uh, kibitz with... Um, Sean Hannity afterwards. But the point is, they had little snippets, but they didn't really make the sale against Biden and Bidenomics. I mean, they didn't really... I mean, here, Vivek Ramaswamy had snippets. Mike Pence had snippets. I guess you could say Ron DeSantis, a tiny snippet. Nikki Haley, um, I think she said uh, something about... Federal spending is too is too substantial, but they just didn't go hammer and tongs, you know, falling real wages and food prices and gasoline prices, 
and spending and deficits and debt. Uh, they just didn't get it done, and it's going to be so important for them to do that. Uh, for a couple of reasons, not only because they're all running. I mean, Trump's way ahead, and you know, Trump's the obvious uh, favorite and huge favorite for the nomination. But they have to, you know, they are Republicans, and they need to make the case uh, to the public. And the polls show, I mean, I talked earlier in the show, the TIPS poll, which is a really first-rate poll, T-I-P-P-S, it's a fabulous poll, uh, economy, 46%. That's the biggest issue by far. All right, it beats crime and guns, beats immigration, although those are the next two. So they've just got to get it done in at the debate at the Reagan Library. They, they must do a better job. They must have a coherent economic growth and prosperity message. And they've got to critique uh, in substantive, specific ways. They've got to critique the failure of uh, Bidenomics. I mean, for example, this whole business I talked about at the top of the show today, uh, OPEC Plus, Saudis, the Russians, the Venezuelans, Iran, you know, they're cutting production, right? So prices have immediately went up in the open market. Uh, you're, you're back just about $90 a barrel on the open market, heading towards 100 and That's going to impact gasoline prices. Now $3.80, those are going to go up. Uh, so what does Biden do? Almost I, the next day... Biden's announced no drilling, no lease sale leases in uh, Alaska, violating congressional law. So what is that? That means the OPEC plus is cutting production, and that means the United States will be cutting production. And that means prices are going to go higher and inflation is going to go higher. And, of course, the congressional mandate is being ignored by Biden. He's breaking the law. Those are things that need to be uh, discussed uh, at this uh, next debate. They have got to get it done. I mean, no matter who the nominee is, let's assume Trump is the nominee. Okay. The others will presumably be on the campaign trail campaigning for the presidential nominee, but also they'll be campaigning for you know, Republican senators and Republican governors and Republican House members. So they, you know, have to have a coherent economic growth message and a coherent economic critique of the absolute failure of uh, Bidenomics. They've got to get that done. It's going to be a very important uh, aspect of this debate coming up. They didn't do it the last time. I hope they do it this time. Another point I want to make... Uh, John Carney and I were talking briefly at the end uh, about the UAW strike, United Auto Workers strike, against the big three. Um, Kevin Hassett, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Kevin was on the TV show last night talking about this at some length. Um, The estimates are that with all the subsidies for electric vehicles uh, and the eventual phase-out, I mean, this is incredible. This is 2023, so by the next 10 years, they want to end gasoline-powered cars, okay, which is crazy, absolutely insane. Um, It's another reason, another thing that the Republicans have to raise 
because uh, they have to repeal all these regulations. But if they don't repeal them, I mean, the estimates are that uh, auto workers will lose 500,000 jobs. 500,000 jobs, okay? And on top of that, the spillover effect, economists call it the knock-on effect, when you include uh, dealers, dealerships, uh, auto repair shops, gas stations, you're talking, you know, probably another half a million jobs, all because of the decline of gasoline-powered cars and the decline of employment. Uh, then you probably have to add on other knock-on effects. I don't know, diners, restaurants, hotel. I mean, who knows? It's incredible. It may affect whole communities. will be wiped out by this. So this is a gigantic, gigantic issue. And uh, you know, nobody wants to see the UAW go on strike. But they have a point. I mean, you can't blame them. And um, who's going to protect these auto workers? I don't know. I mean, I think the rank-and-file UAW auto worker is going to vote for Donald Trump because Trump will wipe out all of this EV mandate. And Trump will also restore, he'll reopen the spigots uh, for oil and gas. Drill, baby, drill. He said it in South Dakota last night. He said it a million times. He calls it liquid gold. So, anyway, these are things to think about. Here's the music. We're running out of time. Sorry we missed Roger Stone. In any event, the next, come back at the uh, top of the hour, and we're going to do some stock market work with two experts and try to make you some money. I'd like the non-rich to get rich. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back soon. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great pleasure to be with you, as always. Just to reset, please join us during the week. Fox Business, name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. Every day, Monday through Friday. And there's a replay from 7 to 8 p.m. And if you can't make it, um, you can DVR the show. Just text your favorite nine-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show. And as far as the radio goes, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. Easiest, easy, easy, easy. You hear us all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, and the Milky Way. So we are here to talk about stocks Stocks fell this past week. It wasn't awful, but the Dow was off 261. The Nasdaq was off 270. The S&P 500 was down 58 points. The broad-based S&P index is up 16%, 16.1% year-to-date. was down at 1.22% last year, so it has recovered somewhat. Interest rates went higher. The... Uh, Ten-year note is 426. That's up eight basis points. 
The 30-year mortgage rate, this is a heartbreaker, the 30-year mortgage rate from Freddie Mac is 7.55. That is a nasty number, doing some harm to housing. And as OPEC Plus cuts production, our great friends in Saudi Arabia, Russia, Venezuela, and Iran, and then Joe Biden goes to Alaska and says no more drilling in Anwar or any other place. Anyway, crude oil... West Texas, $87.50, and Brent crude, European crude, $90. Gasoline, I think, is still hovering at $3.80, but that is going to go up as the world price goes up. So let's talk about some specifics. Uh, John Nigerian. John Nigerian is the co-founder of Market Rebellion. It's great to have him back. Did we get Ozanian? Is Ozanian there? Yes, he is. Oh, I see. All right. Mike Ozanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media and co-host of Forbes Sports Money on the Yes Network. So, Mike Ozanian, sneak me, just give me a minute on on, uh, my favorite baseball team, which is having a terrible year, the New York Yankees. Um, The Mart, what's the, what do they call that guy? The Martian? What's his name? The Martian, yeah. The Martian, yeah, what? 20-year-old Larson, Dominguez, yeah. been phenomenal, huh? Yeah, that's that, it's fun to watch that. It's fun to watch that. It's not fun to watch the Yankees. Too, Larry, you we think? Have a too, my friend. I do. I love Wells. Mm. I think I think he's uh, he looks very solid. He looks terrific arm. Uh, he's always hit. So uh, if this is uh, if we're looking at the Yankees as the stock market and we're mm. we're looking ahead at future earnings. Uh, I'm positive. I like what I see. <laughs> and we found John Najarian somewhere in the ether zone. John Najarian's really a football guy, if I'm not mistaken. Not baseball, but a football guy. And John's going to tell me how great the New York Giants are going to be this year. Well, Larry, the Giants will be very good, but the team to watch is the Jets, of course. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, what can I say? I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. I'll send you my picture of uh, my three brothers and I with Aaron on the field when he was a Golden Bear. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you, uh, John, I look, uh, I'm also a fan of Aaron's. Uh, he's a great, fabulous quarterback. Um, but I'm going to be here to tell you the Giants are going to have a much better record than the New York Jets. Okay? Just going to oh. say this. Just going to say, and by the way, I adore Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets. I love the guy, okay, although I also love the, the Mara family and the Tish family. Anyway, uh, since we got you going, John Nigerian, interest rates went up, stocks went down, oil is up this week. What's your overview of the stock market, my friend? Well, you nailed it with the energy trade there, Larry, and energy is going nowhere but up. Mm. With Russia, Russia cutting back and uh, the fact that Biden, you know, canceled the last remaining lease yep. up in Alaska that had passed under President Trump. I mean, you know, it's a supply and demand market. It's also fear and greed. And I'm sure there is some greed that is playing into this. But if you know that people are demanding the product that you have and there's just not enough of it and you've drained down 260 million barrels out of the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, um, we're going to see higher prices. And unfortunately, it's not going to be for a couple days. 
it's going to be for months and months. John, are you buying energy? Yes, sir. And I'm, believe it or not, I'm buying selectively a lot of solar plays as well, Larry, because in my mind, uh, both solar and uranium play into this because mm. uranium as an alternative, uh, obviously the cleanest fuel we have is uranium. And then um, solar, even though it's not very uh, clean, it's clean once you build the panels, but boy, those panels uh, with everything that goes into them are, you know, not exactly a clean energy source. It takes a lot of uh, bad stuff and a lot of uh, slave labor to produce basically what we're using for uh, solar panels, for wind, and all that. So I, I do like Sunrun, though, R-U-N, um, as a play in solar, and S-P-W-R. Um, I think both of those are going to do exceedingly well. Michael Zanian, uh, what are you thinking about and energy very much in the news? Uh, as I we, do. What yeah. do you, what do you yeah. think about the energy I, story? I, I think the energy story is amazing. A, a couple of things just to uh, piggyback on my friend John. I think what the Biden administration is doing in the Anwar region of Alaska and cutting back, canceling leases and so forth, Maybe the biggest gift the Republicans could possibly get in the next election, because aside from, you know, the price of oil and the price of gas, you know, th those products, it's used in so many products that people buy. You mentioned the price of gas at the yeah. pump. Sure. But in goods and services and, and, you know, for some reason, this Biden administration doesn't realize that, you know, oil and gas, just like money, is fungible. You know, they seem to think that, well, if we don't buy oil directly from bad uh, countries and we buy it from good, that somehow it doesn't benefit the good countries. Well, we don't know how the oil gets to the good countries, you know. Uh, we just know we're getting less of it at higher prices from our own country. I mean, this was a total gift. I, I like the refiners. Uh, you know, refineries haven't exactly been something that we've been building in this country for years. Uh, I like a company called HF Sinclair. The ticker is Dino, D-I-N-O. They're under-levered. Uh, they make a lot of uh, – their lubricants business is, is tremendous. But the, the refiner, the margins there, I think are going to get better. And uh, it's a very cheap stock now. Petroleum, refined petroleum products permeate the economy. You go into the CPI, there's probably 200 items – in the CPI that are affected one way or another by refined petroleum. And therefore, if the price goes up, this is going to be very inflationary. John Nigerian, very inflationary. And in fact, I was talking to John Carney at Breitbart before. Uh, even now, he thinks the um, CPI number this week is going to be much higher than consensus. He's looking at the Cleveland Fed nowcast. And uh, we're going to see a reacceleration of inflation, John, partly because of the oil and uh, gas and petroleum story and partly because the Bidens are spending federal money like there's no tomorrow. So inflation is going to go up. What do you make of that? Um, it has to go up. It goes up because of what Michael Ozanian was just saying about the uh, um refined version of it that goes whether it's into diesel for the big trucks to move what we're going to buy 
wherever we buy it, whether it's at Amazon, um, even though short-term, of course, short hauls, they may have some electric vehicles that bring it from point A to point B. Nonetheless, those big warehouses, those are all big diesel trucks that are pulling into those warehouses. And they're paying an awful lot more uh, for diesel fuel, which means the shipping costs are going up. Mm. You had yellow go out of business and now being restructured. That's also given the shippers um, another excuse to move prices up for shipping things across the country. And I, I just think that everything from plastics yes. to polar fleece, yes. as you're getting ready for the winter and all that, all of that is yep. oil-related. So, How about, yes, how about fertilizer? How about fertilizer and food prices, John? Absolutely. And we knew that, Larry, when Russia and Ukraine were uh, saber-rattling, or Russia perhaps was the one saber-rattling, but we knew that 25% of the fertilizer came from that area. Mm. Globally, 25% of the demand for fertilizer. And uh, a lot of that takes natural gas to turn it into a usable fertilizer. And the fact that uh, it hasn't... Uh, because it was a cool winter last winter, we hadn't had that huge pull on demand. We're going to see, I think, a much bigger pull this year, and it's going to come with crude oil prices at a much higher price. So alternatives are going to be more expensive for all of these countries. I think this is going to be terrible for Europe. It'll be difficult for the United States. And mm -hmm. certainly, um, what was it yesterday, Larry, I saw that it was... $709 a month more because right. of inflation. Right. The average American household is paying per month for food and everything else yep. that goes into keeping that family alive. Yep. That's, that's all. Those are the estimates. Uh, that one came out of the Heritage Foundation, but other people have made the same observation. All right, kids, let's take a quick break. John Najarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. Mike Ozanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media and co-host of Sports Money on the Yes Network. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back more with stocks. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow, we're talking stocks. We've got John Najarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. We've got Michael Zanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media and co-host of Forbes Sports Money on Yes it's a great show, by the way. I actually watched the show several times, Mike Ozanian. So Thank you. Well done, well done. All right, kids, uh, I'll start with uh, Mike. There's a lot of talk and articles about a big bust in commercial real estate and that that big bust in commercial real estate is going to lead to a big bust in regional and smaller banks. Okay, I'm seeing a lot of articles here. Uh, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary has also talked about that on the TV show. Michael Zanian, what do you make of that? Well, I think there's a lot to that, uh, and, I, and I say this because, uh, you know, going along with that, you now have uh, 18 regional lenders, 18 regional banks. Uh, this was according to Bloomberg Intelligence a couple of days ago, might need $63 billion of new debt. Ooh. comply with rules by the FDIC, Federal Reserve, and Office of the Controller. Uh, and these are regulations, of course, that were drafted by these agencies to safeguard financial institutions 
you know, after we had some of those regional bank failures and back in March. So I, I think that we're looking at these agencies. They're looking ahead, and I think that they see some of that as, as potential. So I, I agree. I think it's very real. Um, I would stay away from banks at this point, certainly the regional ones. Um, John Nigerian, let me just switch gears. Uh, I'm interested in the bond market. Um, you know, price earnings multiples in the stock market are kind of high. Uh, I think the S&P is 20 times. Um, the 10-year is holding at around four and a quarter. Uh, John, if inflation comes in higher and if the GDP comes in stronger, which it kind of looks like, what's that going to do to bond rates and what might that do to the stock market? Well, unfortunately, Larry, all of that is bad. Um, and you know it and you know why, because that's why you held the positions you did um, in the last administration. Um, and that's why so many of us loved when you speak, you know, truth uh, on your shows. Uh, I think the issue, you're quite welcome, sir, and thank you. Um, I think the issue is that um, the United States itself is the largest borrower, obviously, Um, and they borrow through those bonds. The price of those bonds going up is going to be a hindrance to any economy, even the world's largest economy. And are these historically the highest rates? Of course not. But there are so many people that you and Michael just discussed that, you know, the commercial real estate or CRE market is really in trouble. Mm. And a lot of those banks um, have not been had enough time to get some of this paper off their books, meaning that they're the ones that hold those mortgages. We've heard about people literally throwing the keys for commercial real estate. Um, back to the lenders because they can't make money in cities like San Francisco. That's happened to a lesser extent in New York. But nonetheless, all of that does come home to roost at some point with the banks having to jack rates up significantly. That hurts potential homeowners. That means rents go up. I mean, all of that is part and parcel of, uh, you know, this higher inflation and Again, just in the last segment when we were discussing what the president just did, canceling those leases, Michael called it a gift, and he's right. It's a gift to the Republicans, but it's a stab in the back of the American people Mm. that are going to be paying much higher energy costs, and they pay it in a variety of ways at the grocery store and at the pump. I'm just concerned. uh, We're running out of time, but Michael Zanian, I'm just concerned. Uh, if inflation goes north, which I think it will, um, and the federal government is borrowing like crazy, uh, I mean, the deficit in FY23 is going to be $2 trillion, and they're spending like crazy. Um, spending is up over 10%. The federal government is borrowing, but the Federal Reserve is not buying because the Federal Reserve is shrinking its balance sheet, maybe slowly, but they are not buying that's a different situation than we had in certainly 2020 during the pandemic, but also 2021. The Fed has stopped buying, but Uncle Sam keeps borrowing, and the inflation rate keeps rising. And Mike Ozanian, that's not good for bond rates. No, bonds will get crushed. Seconds. Interest rates will keep going up. And, and we're starting to see this all into corporate profits because earnings revisions 
on the negative side are far yeah. exceeding those on the positive for uh, the third quarter. All right. Gentlemen, you are terrific to help us on a Saturday. John Najarian of Market Rebellion, Mike Ozanian of Forbes and Sports Money. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're going to do some money in politics with Liz Peake and Monica Crowley. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to do some money in politics. We've got Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and we have Monica Crowley, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs. She's a political columnist, Monica Crowley podcast. By the way, first of all, ladies, thank you for coming on today. We appreciate it, as always. I want to tell you, the two of you, that segment we did on TV, the two of you, along with uh, Steve Forbes, who was remote, uh, was the highest-rated segment of the entire week. Just one to tell you. <laughs> Good for us. <laughs> I know, true. And by the way, it was a very big number. <laughs> so, wow. So bless you. Anyway, um, I'm going to start with Liz Peake, the New York Sun, Liz Peake. Biden dodging criticism over illegal aliens in New York will lurk in Alaska where he could face a chilly reception. That's a Seth Lipsky header. I know it's fantastic. <laughs> you got that right. But basically, no 9-11 memorial, okay, he's going to be in Alaska and he's going to spit in their face because he just ended all drilling in Anwar and the national parks and whatnot. By the way, he broke the law with this executive order. This is insanity, Liz Peake, and I wanted to start with this insanity stuff. No 9-11 memorial and no drilling, okay? What is up with this guy? (laughs) Well, I I second your opinion 100%. It does seem to me that right now, as gasoline prices are headed higher and oil prices are moving up, The absolutely stupidest thing for Joe Biden to do is to remind voters that he is at least partly responsible for this very huge increase in inflation and their daily uh, cost of living. It's an amazing, uh, again, amazing sort of political mishap, it seems to me. He didn't have to do this. As you point out, it is also illegal because in the 2017 uh, Mm. tax bill, there was a requirement for the government to issue at least two leases, hold two lease sales in this part of Alaska. But but bigger than that, this is the biggest future source of incremental revenues, incremental production. We could be producing more oil today had we allowed exploration to go forward in Alaska. And by the way, I have a cousin who did drill in Alaska, picked up some leases from the majors that they had dropped because the politics was so hot, discovered the biggest onshore oil discovery in 50 years in America, uh, and made a fortune. Because guess what? That's where the oil is. He discovered 2 billion 
barrels of oil. Mm. And in this Anwar, these, these leases, it could be as much as $13 billion. It's wow. outrageous that Biden has taken this off the market. You know, we're running huge deficits. That originally was in the tax cut bill, the Trump tax cut bill, as a revenue measure. So, in effect, he's going to kill those revenues. I mean, not only going to raise prices, now only going to cause inflation. And the indigenous native tribes want this, no matter what Deborah Holland has to say. But it was originally done as a revenue measure, which is, you know, yet another problem. But Monica Crowley, the other piece of this, which is uh, such an insult to me, I'm sure the others, um, he's not going to be at any of the 9-11 memorials. Okay, he's going to be in Alaska. And Alaska wasn't hit. New York was hit. Virginia was hit. The Pentagon was hit, et cetera, et cetera. What is up with that? That is an insult to everybody. You know, I don't understand, Larry and Liz, why people are still surprised about this. Joe Biden has not exhibited any kind of love for America, sense of patriotism, Mm. frankly, throughout his entire career, and certainly as president of the United States. You will recall the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan that resulted in the deaths of 13 brave servicemen. And when those bodies were returned, he was caught looking at his watch. This Mm. is a man who has displayed no patriotism or love of country. So on one of our most somber anniversaries, September 11th, where nearly 3,000 Americans and others were killed by Islamic terrorists, this man is going about as far away physically and geographically as possible from the sites of New York, uh, Washington, D.C., and that field in Pennsylvania, going all the way to Alaska. This this tells you exactly who this man is. Mm. And while we're out here trying to make sense of his catastrophic policies, including on energy, the war on domestic energy production and fossil fuels and the rest of it, they're over here basically waging war on the Constitution of the country. So we're trying to apply policy and common sense explanations for what he's doing when he and his administration are driven by something else completely which is an ideology uh, designed for the fundamental transformation of the nation. Yeah, it's well put. Liz, you know, the other side of this, um, he is, <laughs> think about this for a second. This past week, you get the OPEC Plus announcement that they're going to extend the uh, production cuts. OPEC Plus includes Iran and Venezuela, I might add, as long as Russia and Saudi Arabia and so forth. So they're cutting production. So Biden almost the same day or the next day, uh, announces no more drilling in, in Anwar and in Alaska, uh, which is illegal, as you've noted. Um, he's cutting production. He's cutting future production. That's right. I mean, yeah. it, it's like, Liz, which side is he on? I mean, well, you know, I, we talk about America first. Which side is he on? You know, uh, Larry, I think what's kind of the bigger question here, too, is, is Biden actually trying to be reelected? Because at this point, he should be pivoting towards the middle. He should be trying to appease some of the critics who, again, place a large part of inflation on his doorstep, first through too much spending, and secondly, because of his war on fossil fuels. But you don't see any of that. And in fact, this, I mean, as I say, I think it's an incredible act of sort of political malfeasance to come out with this uh, banning of drilling on Anwar 
at the same time, again, as oil prices are going up, and by the way, this isn't the only thing that's in the crosshairs of this administration. It also may be that they decide to cancel the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is destined to bring oil from North Dakota uh, to the central part of the country. This is also sort of up in the air. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they do that. I mean, it's really, it is honestly crazy because Americans are looking at their utility bills. They know electricity prices are going up. They are beginning to figure out that a lot of this is because of the green energy push. By the way, we haven't talked about the G20 summit, but it's pretty hilarious to see all these leaders of the world convalesce, you know, convening in India. And Biden, literally Biden administration said he wants to take Bidenomics to the rest of the world, which honestly had me falling off my chair laughing. Uh, but what he's talking about is the green agenda. And guess what? The, the third world in particular, but even a lot of Europe now is rejecting the Green New Deal because they know it's really hurting their country. So, you know, this guy, this guy is so out of step and he's just kowtowing to a pretty small part of America that wants all this to go on. Monica, the CNN poll shows that all the Republican candidates are either tied or beating Biden. All of them. So I guess, what do you make of that? But if if I were a Democratic strategist and I'm looking at this, uh, and this is not the only poll, I would say the guy's a loser. And so then the question is, who's going to take him on? Somebody, I mean, if I were a Democrat, I would say we're going to lose. The guy's, you know, for all of his bad policies and his infirmities and whatnot, somebody's got to step in and take him on, Monica. I mean, you could do it, but you're a Republican, not a Democrat. So (laughs) somebody's got to take him on, Monica Crowley. Well, a couple of points about this, and I saw that CNN poll, which was really interesting, and it was fascinating to watch the left go absolutely bananas over it. <laughs> um, first of all, you know, to pick, on some, pick up on something that Liz just said, I think more and more Americans are waking up to the fact that they are witnessing the intentional destruction of the country. And the reason I use intentional is at this point, three years in, to the Biden presidency, you know, any normal president or politician would change course faced with the, the wreckage on the economy and the wide open border and millions of illegals and the collapse of law and order and the collapse of our cities just out of sheer political survival for himself and his party. A normal president would change course, and yet we have seen zero course correction in any direction from this president and his administration. I think most people are looking at that and saying, oh, I guess this is the plan. This is the Biden administration's set of policies, and they're not going to change it. They're very unhappy with it, and their lives are markedly worse than they were three, four years ago when President Trump was in office, even at the height of the pandemic. Yeah, but- so to, get your, to get to your question about who replaces Biden, look, right. I am of the opinion that if the left power brokers believe that they can run another basement strategy with him and Kamala, they will. This is why you're seeing COVID, the medical tyranny returning and everything else. If they think they can pull that off again with him, they will go with him. If, however, they think that they cannot, he is going to be gone. And I think we're starting to see them move in that direction. This is why you're hearing about all the bribery and the corruption, which... 
you know, they would be more than happy to bury if they thought they could pull it off with him. But, so I think they want him gone. They cannot run her. She's the most unpopular VP in American history. So the question is, who comes up? And I think the most difficult for President Trump and the Republicans would be Michelle Obama. If yes. Run. I was just going to ask Liz, when does Michelle Obama throw her hat into the ring? Huh. Well, look, I mean, she doesn't have to until very late in the day, right? Yeah, because Obama yeah. has in place, courtesy her husband, she has an entire network of PACs and fundraising apparatus at her disposal, enormous name recognition, enormous popularity. I would argue the later she jumps in, the better. It might even happen at the convention around that time yeah. because the more she campaigns, the more her popularity will decline. And I don't necessarily mean that she'll offend people, although she might. She's made some offensive comments in the past. But the more people know about Michelle Obama, right now they have a very glossy view of her, thanks to mm. unmitigated love affairs with Vogue magazine and, and so <laughs> forth. Uh, you know, that only gets worse with exposure, right? So, and, and none, by the way, I think she'll be a formidable opponent no matter when she gets in. But for Democrats, I think the later the better. Well, I would just say if Michelle Obama throws her hat into the ring, somebody's got to keep a close health watch on Hillary Clinton, who might <laughs> commit suicide. I, know. I mean, that's really so true. She just will go crazy on his. All right. We, on that high note, we'll take a quick break. Uh, Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Monica Crowley, former assistant treasury secretary and uh, author of the Monica Crowley podcast. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Monica Crowley, former assistant secretary of the Treasury and uh, sponsor of the Monica Crowley podcast. Monica Crowley, begin with you. Donald Trump in South Dakota drew huge crowds. I think you might have had a third of the state's population. <laughs> I don't know how many people are in South Dakota. But the interesting uh, thing was Governor Kristi Noem endorsed Mr. Trump for president. Is that a vice presidential endorsement, Monica Crowley? <laughs> I think there are a number of top Republicans who are vying for that coveted position on Trump's uh, ticket to be his running mate. Um, I saw the event last night. Uh, Governor Nome is a friend, as I know she's a friend of yours. She's yep. phenomenal. She's a great leader in a great state uh, that has been kept free throughout the COVID pandemic and beyond. So she is very talented. And I think her endorsement is, is going to carry some weight, particularly with women who may look askance at President Trump but want to take another look at him. And I do think, you know, that she is certainly in the vice presidential running. You know, President Trump's comments last night at the event were also very interesting. And I just posted this up on my Twitter account. A part of, uh, I posted a clip of him because at one point he did get emotional. Now, Donald mm. Trump is, is a wonderful man. Um, we all know him personally. He is a wonderful man. And he genuinely loves this country, which is why he ran for the presidency to begin with. 
And at one point last night, he got emotional when he was talking about the deliberate destruction of America. Mm. And he actually had to pause. And it was an authentic moment. It was not some Bill Clinton biting of the lip phony stuff. (laughs) This was a genuine moment on the part of President Trump. He really feels for what this country is going through. And he understands that we are in a war for the future of the country. Mm. And so the question is, do the rest of us understand that that the hour is very late in America? You know, the left has made tremendous progress over many decades to get us to this tipping point. And we all have to understand that we're going to take to the ramparts here and, and really fight well, for the country on um, 2024 and beyond. It's an interesting uh, Vince. <clears throat> Vince Haley sent me a copy of the speech and it was a heck of a speech and it was an issues speech loaded with issues, one after another, with facts and figures. And, Liz, I say that because I know that you, like me, probably like Monica, we want him to look forward, stop harping on the 2020 election. That's what the speech was. He, I think he mentioned the election once, uh, but it was more in the context of interfering with the election and the weaponization of the Justice Department and so forth. But it was a really good, solid uh, issue speech, Liz. And I think, you know, he is evolving into a pretty good candidate. Now, I know you have some reservations. I appreciate that. But I, th- I think, you know, I guess what I'm asking you is, do you see him evolving in the right direction, looking to the future, not the past? Yeah, I, I totally do. And I thought your interview with him highlighted that um, Mm. progress, let's call it progress, because really not that long ago, all he would do would talk about was talk about the 2020 election. And, you know, at some point that isn't just tiresome. It is actually really detrimental to Republicans hopes of winning elections, because I hear this. I see it on Twitter. I hear it from people uh, on the right. It's like, why why should I bother to go vote when the elections are rigged and we can't win anyway? Boy, do you not want that message out there. So I, I think he is more focused on uh, issues, and I think you have made that clear to him. Other people have. And, mm. you know, uh, that's what's going to win an election. I, my concerns about Donald Trump are not at all about his policies, but rather his electability. Mm. And even in this CNN poll, which is honestly catastrophic for Joe Biden. I mean, if you go through this poll line by line, there isn't a single thing that is redeeming about this poll for Joe Biden. The only good news is there are indications that people are going to vote for Joe Biden again as a vote against Donald Trump, which they did in 2020. And if that number stays quite high amongst independents and Democrats, you know, you've got a problem. you got a problem winning an election. Boy, we cannot afford to win this election. But one comment on the VP situation, Mm. everyone who has done well in the debates, Nikki Haley, Ramaswamy, everybody has been now mentioned as a VP candidate. The the reason this is incredibly important, more important than usual, Trump, if he's elected, only has four years. So it's a little bit like Nikki Haley saying a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris, which is her smartest move to date. And that's a theme that's now been picked up elsewhere. A vote for Donald Trump is a vote also a little bit uh, the way our American politics goes for whoever his vice president is. So it's a pretty big role that someone is going to occupy. Throw your hat in the ring, Liz. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Throw your hat me. in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, right now there's some congressional people talking about Nikki Haley, and I think Nikki Haley would be a fabulous choice. Mm-hmm. She's got a smart answer on abortion. Big state. I mean, Christy Noem's terrific, but who's got, you know, who cares about the whatever, the, what do they have? I don't even know, one or two electoral college votes in her state? Not much, right? Um, I'll just close out. We've just got a minute to go. Um, the tips poll just came out, new tips poll. It's a very, very good poll. Uh, on issues, the economy, 46%. Second was crime, gun violence, 28 Immigration and border security, 27. Those are the top three issues, economy, crime, and immigration. Monica Crowley, just got 30 seconds. Investigations of the Trump administration, 8%. It's like fourth from the bottom. Monica, I know the mainstream media obsesses about the investigations, but I think it's an issues campaign Yes, I agree. And, and you said investigations of the Trump administration. I think you meant Biden administration, but yeah. No, no, it's Trump. Investigations of Trump. Oh, of Trump. Oh, Me, well, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, look, this is going to be an issues-oriented campaign. You're exactly right. And the thing that all three of those top all three right. issues have in common, quality of life. Liz Peek, can't thank you enough. Monica Crowley, can't thank you enough. Great Tucson. Folks, I'm Kudlow. We'll be back next weekend. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.